Hey, Jenny and Levi Lusco here, and we wanna welcome you to this Fresh Life Church message archive from the 2020 series, as we're taking time to get ready for this next new year by building faith and asking God to open the eyes of our heart. Throughout this series, we're asking every single person who's a part of and touched by the ministry of Fresh Life Church to consider what God would have you to give in a special year-end offering that we'll be receiving on December 8th. And all across the church, children and families, single people, married people, every kind of person is considering what this ministry means to us and how God's touched our lives through it right. and how we can be a part of expanding the footprint of it and uh, seeing it go into new places and spaces and reach more people. That's right. We're we're so excited for this time together and this this opportunity to get to really um, see what what God's put in us, what he has for us, but then what he wants to do yeah, through us. That's exactly right. And we're, we're just so excited. And that includes you. Whether you watch these messages online or you listen to the podcast, you can be a part of it. We right. love to send you a 2020 kit with everything you need to participate in and be a part of what God's doing. No matter where you live in the country, no matter where uh, you watch these messages, God could use you to help us reach more people. That's right. And in this gift, we have a little um, necklace and really it's just a, a symbol, a token of, um, of of seeing the king. So basically it's a little crown and it's really cool. And I have one on here, he has one on. Yeah. Um, but just a reminder of above all else, above everything that we wanna see the king, that we wanna see Jesus lead us and use us for his glory. That's right, to get your own 2020 kit, including your beautiful crown necklace that you can wear over your heart as you pray about what God would have you to give in this series and this offering, doing so online, whether that's a gift of $5,000 or $500 or $5, whatever it would take you to use faith and sacrifice to give to be a part of this. This is something we'd love to send to you free of charge. You can get it two ways. Uh, you can either text the number 97,000, and you see it on the screen, and include the word giving kit, or send an email with your name and address to online at freshlife.church. And we'll send one of these your way that you can so that you can participate in what God's doing here at this church. Yes. Well, enjoy this message from God's word. Luke chapter 10 is where we're gonna be this week. I'm really excited. God gave me this message a few weeks ago and uh, I thought it was going to be for last week, but we ended up tweaking things and moving things and just trying to follow what God was doing in our, in our church. And last week was a real special worship experience, wasn't it? Yeah. If you weren't here, we, we, we tracked down some of the stories of the outreach partners that we've been blessed to be connected with and linked up with. And we tried to really uh, give a picture of what we hope and believe we'll be able to do. Some of the dreams that God has put into uh, different nonprofits around the world and in our communities from Kalispell to Missoula to Butte to Salt Lake City, all these outreaches that we're connected with and, and what they would do uh, if we were to give generously. And, and so we're real excited. If you missed that, we called it the 2020 experience. You can, it was informative too. There's a lot of learning we did about the eye. I was like, what is happening here? This isn't church. God can't be blessed by us learning. Um, it's supposed to all be spiritual. Uh, that was real fun. That's on the podcast, the 2020 experience, if you missed it. How many of you are traveling for the holiday this week? Anybody getting in the car, getting in the plane, traveling? How many of you, you have people traveling to be with you? Raise your, your hand up. Okay, I'm going to pray God's blessing on us all as we, as we go uh, forth into... Luke chapter 10, it's been called one of the greatest short stories ever told, not just by Jesus, but like ever told. Along with the parable of the prodigal son, this has been referred to as one of the most 
fantastically put together short stories in literature. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, I like him already, (laughs) when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And Father, I pray in this gathering, we would experience what you promised would happen, that you would breathe on us, illuminate us as we look into your words. You said that we cannot truly discern the meaning of them naturally. We would need your spirit to do that. And so we ask that we would not merely see what can be so obviously seen with the naked eye, and that is this beautiful, heartwarming story of charity and compassion and pity. But we would see God beyond the ink on the page to what you're wanting us to see, and that is you in it. We pray that we would see the king in this story and that we would see ourselves in your reflection. And we ask, God, that if even one person has come in today to our church, to the online broadcast, or to our television audience, and they, they, they don't know you, they're without God, without hope in this world, perhaps seated in our Deer Lodge campus or watching this message at Fresh Life in Helena. And I pray they would just realize that they're not just part of thousands and thousands of people watching a sermon. They're in an audience of one seen by you. 
and that you care about them and they, they would just understand your grace and your love towards them individually. And that would change everything for them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Everyone who agrees, say it with me. Amen. 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 I want to call this message, You're No Good Samaritan. It doesn't seem like a real compliment, but it really is, I, I assure you. So I need you to help me preach this sermon. And I need you to say the following. You can say it to either the neighbor on your left hand, the neighbor on your right hand. Just whatever, whichever one of them seems nicer, more agreeable. Uh, I want you to tell them this. Repeat after me. I know the Good Samaritan. I've met the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan is a friend of mine. And then you'll say, sir or ma'am, depending upon, all right? And you, sir, are no Good Samaritan. And that's exactly what this story is about. Believe it or not, that's what this story is, is trying to say. You see, in our day, in our culture, 2,000 years removed from Jesus' day, the phrase the Good Samaritan has its own urban dictionary entry. And what it means is essentially in our culture, anyone who does anything nice for a stranger. Now, let me pause right here and say there are people who every day risk everything for strangers. Let's thank God for the paramedics. Let's thank God for the policemen. Let's thank God for the firefighters. Let's thank God for first responders. Let's thank God for people who put themselves for no reason other than a divine calling and love on the line for strangers who will risk their lives, go into avalanches, go into boiling floods, and, and risk it all for strangers. There, there are amazing people who do kind things in our day, heroes in our day. I, I'm not, when I look into what a Major League Baseball player does, I, I don't have any complaints about what they get paid. I, honestly, I mean, but, but I think in our day, the people who risk their lives, I think those are the people we should be bankrolling. Anybody with me on that? I, I, think, I think the best paid job in the world should be that, that firefighter who's going into flames for kids and, and up trees for cats. <laughs> Scratch that from the record, right? That part should just be pro bono. Okay, but... But, but he, 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 here's the reality, all right? So everything I just said, I mean in my heart. But, but what, what the meaning of the Good Samaritan actually is, is not just someone who does something kind for a stranger. Because uh, what it's essentially like boiled down, like, okay, here we go. The other day, I lost my wallet. Here's what I do. I get in the car, and I don't like to sit on my wallet. Are you guys with me? So I often put the wallet on the dash or in the compartment, right? If you break into my car, you'll know exactly where to find it. Or, or I'll just, lazy, I'll just sit it on my lap. And, and so the other day, I get out of the car at a, at a store, and lo and behold, as I get out, it falls out into the parking lot. I did not know this uh, because I went in the store, and I was looking for something, and then I ended up looking at something else and ended up leaving buying nothing, right? And I would have known I didn't have my wallet if I'd ever bought anything, but I didn't buy anything. And, uh, and, and then I'm, I'm driving down the road, and I, I do need to buy something. And so I go to look for my wallet, and there's no wallet. And I'm like, you know that feeling of desperation? Where's my wallet, right? And, and a while back, I, someone bought me this little thing that I called a tile. You could put into your wallet, put into your backpack, attach to your keys so that if you lose your wallet, you can pick up your phone and call it. So catchy, right? <laughs> Problem is the battery died on it, right? So now I've got a dead battery on my thing, in my thing, and I, I can't, I call it, it doesn't answer. I get voicemail, call on my wallet, right? And so I, I can't find my wallet. I'm confused. And I'm like, maybe it's in the store. So I picked up my phone to call the store going, maybe I left it in the store. And as I grab my phone, my phone rings. And it's someone calling from the church going, um, Pastor, uh, your, your wallet was just found. At, I'm like, it was at this store? They're like, yes. I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus. So I turn around, 
drive back to the store, and I go up to the cash register, say, is my wallet in here? And they go, yes. And I go, where did they find it? You know, was it, was it, in, was it in the aisle three where I was? And they go, no, no, it was in the parking lot. And I said, the parking lot? And I'm just thinking in my head, like, how bad this could be. You know, just, just the horror story. You call all your banks and you should cancel the thing, get a new driver's license. Oh, Lord Jesus, that's the worst, right? <laughs> Is that not the worst? That's the worst. It's the worst thing. There's nothing worse than that. All right. All right. So, 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 so I said, where was it? And they said, it was in the parking lot. I'm like, I'm a moron. I'm a moron. I just could picture it falling out of my lap, me not even noticing, just by stepping on it as I walk, like, blum, 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 blum. You know, that's how I walk. <laughs> oh, I'm stepping on a wallet. I don't care. I'm so busy. And I said, how, did an employee find it? And they go, no, just a, a customer was walking by. And I said, there are good people in this world. She goes, yes, there are. I said, says, good Samaritan. She says, yes, 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 they are. But, but that's, not, that's not a good Samaritan. You have to understand, that's someone who, who did something really nice. And thank God there are nice people in the world who do nice things. So, so when, I, when I tell you, tell your neighbor, you know, you're no good Samaritan, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm trying to help you understand is that the reason Jesus told this story was to help someone who thought he was a good person see that he wasn't quite as good as he thought he was. The text tells us this is a conversation all about how do I inherit eternal life or how do I deserve eternal life? Translation, how do I be so good that God in heaven goes, well, you need to come in. Look at you with your good self, right? You go, boy. You go, girl. Just get on up here. As soon as you die, we're good. You know, you and I are good. You have been so good. That's, the guy literally came to Jesus. The, the, one translation calls him a lawyer, but the translation that we read is, is more accurate to the original culture because he wasn't a lawyer in the sense that we would be a lawyer today. He was a religious lawyer. He was an expert in the Jewish law. So his entire goal was to figure out and to help people understand and obviously himself do whatever God wants us to do so that we can die and not stay dead forever, but have eternal life. So he says to Jesus, the Bible says, wanting to test him. One translation says, wanting to trick him. He says, how do you think we can inherit eternal life? Expecting Jesus to say something like, trust in me, or it's impossible without God, or man, good question. <laughs> Why don't you tell me, right? Grace is what he expected Jesus to say, because he knew that's where Jesus was going around preaching. And he knew that Jesus was hanging around with people, promising eternal life to them who did horrible things. Jesus hung out with prostitutes so often, they accused him of being a party animal and a prostitute and a drunkard. He hung out with, he hung out with just, just um, people that this guy would never even share a meal with in a million years. And he was telling these sorts of people, you're saved, you're good with God. So he was trying to trap Jesus into saying something like he knew Jesus was commonly telling people, just trust in me and you can have eternal life. The forgiveness of sins is yours. But Jesus, how many of you know, is a real tough guy to trap? <laughs> Wanting to trick him. Uh-oh. Right? You know Jesus. You're like, this guy, you, you poor fool. <laughs> Wanting to test Jesus. Uh, this is going to be fun. Right? He'll make short work of him. How, how do you think we should get to heaven? He says to Jesus. And Jesus goes, well, what does the law say? Because uh, that was the guy's like main weapon. Whatever Jesus said, this guy was going to use the law to decimate Jesus' argument. So Jesus took the weapon out of the man's hands. Well, you know, the law has a lot to say about that. Why don't you tell me from the law? The guy's like, oh, dang it. 
That was what I was going to say next. After you said your thing, I was going to use that to bludgeon you to death. Hmm. Now that Jesus has kicked the legs out of his own stool, the guy's got to answer. Because that's just so Jesus. Like, I know we call it the Socratic method, but Jesus is the king of answering a question with a question. And oftentimes, a question with a story, and then another question at the end. Just when you're, you're out of oxygen, he'll step on your trachea, right? It's like, <laughs> if you come against him trying to trick him, right? Oh, I, I, Jesus, I'll, I'll show him a thing or two. <laughs> what's the law say? Jesus said, what's, what's the law say we should do? To a guy who studied the law all day and all night. And the guy answered correctly. Well, the law says, love God, love people. That's, that's condensed, but that's what the guy said. Love God and love your neighbor. And Jesus goes, well, yeah, well, yeah. So go and do that. You'll be fine. If you do that, you'll, you'll be fine. There's a barb in there, though, because Jesus said, if you can do that, you'll be fine. Meaning, you're not doing that, homie. If you could do that, you'd be great. How do we get eternal life? Well, just love God and love people all the time, perfectly, without fail. You'd be great. If you could do that, you'd be great. But you're here talking to me for a reason. So instead of giving the guy grace, he gave the guy law. Jesus basically clobbered this dude with the Ten Commandments. Now, there's probably... There's probably, uh, you know, a few of us out there who have seen stories and, and have thoughts on the Ten Commandments being removed from, from courthouses and schools and public places. And let me just say this. There's probably a good reason to have those everywhere, but the Ten Commandments have never saved anybody. And Jesus, in fact, was trying to use the Ten Commandments to show this guy who thought the Ten Commandments could save us that they can't. That's what he stood by. So Jesus didn't even take, Jesus wouldn't even punch the guy. He let Moses just wipe him out. <laughs> How, how do we get saved? Moses, you want to take this one? <laughs> right? The guy goes, love God, love people. Just goes, yeah. Well, if you could do that, you'd be great. How's that working out for you? And the guy realizing the slippery slope he was on, he, he, he couldn't meet the law's demands, so he sought to find a loophole in the definitions. So that's why he, he responded by going, well, about that neighbor thing, what technically is a neighbor anyway? Because <laughs> maybe he loved God fine, but as the people stuff. Gets messy, doesn't it? He says, the guy says, and one, one translation puts it this way, looking for a loophole, he asked, what do you mean by neighbor? Our translation says, seeking to justify himself. Note, note to self, really bad plan. Much better to let God justify you than to try and justify yourself. Seeking to justify himself, he then said, well, who is a neighbor anyway? Who exactly is my neighbor? What do you mean by neighbor? Define neighbor for me, because I love most people. But tell me what you mean by neighbor, and then I'll tell you how I'm, how I'm doing, all right? This guy, this day is not going like this. he thought the day was going to go. So Jesus, uh, again, refusing to play the game on the, on the terms the guy wanted to play, he changed the battlefield and, and went instead to a story. He goes, okay, here, let me, let me tell you what I mean by story. There was this guy, and he was walking from Jerusalem to Jericho. Well-known route, 17-mile journey from Jerusalem down, always down from the capital city, always down topographically, geographically, spiritually, always down from Jerusalem. Jerusalem represented the place we meet with God. Coming down from Jerusalem, going to Jericho, this man fell among thieves. Now, 
this was a common occurrence in that day. You have to understand the 17-mile journey was mountainous. It was rocky then and now. You can go walk it. Treacherous, right? Looks kind of like Grand Canyon-ish, barren, not a lot of life. If you find a spring, get all the water you can because it might be a while, right, on the 17-mile path before you come across it again. And it's a hot, blistering environment. You find, kind of feel like you're, well, remember when I was there, you kind of feel like you're on Mars a little bit, okay? 17 miles, and there's a part of it that, in, that includes a, a bunch of switchbacks, and it's a pass, basically, that was so notoriously dangerous, right? This is like people, people go to LA and think, oh, I'm in LA, it's great. I'm at something like called Compton. This is amazing. It's a good tourist spot, right? Stay in your car, lock it. <laughs> it's not safe exactly, right? I'm in Watts. It seems awesome. It's called Skid Row. Is that a good place to go buy souvenirs, right? Well, I'm in Los Angeles on my layover, right? This, this is what this was like. It was so notorious for people who were traveling, people who were not from around here, people who were you know, just, just on, a, on a holiday to Jerusalem, coming back to wherever they were, were from. It was so common to get mugged here that they actually nicknamed this past the Way of Blood. A man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. Presumably, in the story, the man is Jewish, as are those who did the mugging. They beat the man. They stripped the man of all of his clothing. They took all of his money, and for spite, they gave him an additional beating, leaving him half dead. They were just messing with him at this point. They had all they could take from the man. Now they were just being cruel. The man lying there, presumably struggling to breathe in his own blood, helpless, about to die, the Bible says, as it happened, a priest walked. Oh, now Jesus believes in luck. It just so happened, right? Jesus with a twinkle in his eye. Fortunately, <laughs> a priest, it's like a great joke, right? So, so the guy's lying there. The priest walks into the bar, right? The priest walks by. And the priest would have been the most likely person, the Levite too. These two that Jesus sends by in the story are, if anyone's going to do anything, it's going to be these guys. You have to understand, in the ancient world, there was not a hospital. In the ancient world, there were not orphanages. This, this was unknown on the earth before the church of Jesus Christ was founded. The idea of a hospital, the idea of an orphanage, actually the idea of a college, these all came about as a result of the church, the followers of Jesus Christ. These are the ones who brought pity and compassion to the world. There was not such a thing. Please Google it and look into it. There was not relief organizations in the world till followers of Jesus Christ who believed in the dignity of life, who believed in an afterlife, who believed in helping their fellow man. This is, this, these are Christian ideas through and through on the earth. So the priest and the Levite walked by, the most likely to do help, the ones funded to do help, by the way, as you gave your tithes in that day, a portion of them were earmarked to go to pity. We all would expect as we give to God that a portion of it would go towards helping those in the direst of needs. That's how we should feel. That's how we, as a church, we have a deep conviction about these things. And, and so as you hear this, you go, okay, these guys are obviously going to help him. But they don't. They saw the man. The text says they saw him, but they both passed by to the other side of the road. This is a very small road. 
It's a, it's, a, it's a winding path. I mean, when you're in Yellowstone or if you're in, you know, the Tetons or if you're in Glacier and you're on, you're on, you're on switchbacks, right? To walk around someone on the trail and not fall off is, is very creative. You'd have to really, to pass by on the other side, it's very creative to get by without touching and being defiled by this man. Seeing him, they pass by doing nothing. I'm sure they have their reasons. Coming from Jerusalem, they would have just been finishing a course of servant, uh, of servant uh, time where they would serve in the, in the temple, serve in the temple complex, give, meeting the needs of people. And so they probably thought, I've just, been, I've just been serving. I can't do everything. I've done so much. Or, or I, my, I promised my family I'd be home in a certain time. Or this guy, I can tell, is not long on the earth. I mean, you could stop and pray for him. No, no, they just passed by and kept going. They, they thought to themselves, well, someone else will surely take care of him, or nothing can be done, or I've done so much, or I, I just can't be bothered to do this and be defiled by it. And, you know, maybe this guy did something to deserve this. Who knows what he's done? You know, who knows what, what he was a part of that, that landed him in this situation? I don't want to mess with God's karma. That would just get in the way of the sovereignty thing. You know, if God destined this guy to deal with this, you know what? And they passed by. The ones who should have done the most did the least. But then Jesus says the Samaritan came by. Now, it is hard for me in our culture to find an equivalent that would explain to you the hatred with which Jews held Samaritans. I will have you know the average Jewish man in this day said his morning prayers by tradition. There were certain things you included most days. Not in scripture. Someone say not in scripture. Not in scripture. But in culture. And in culture, one of the things prayed each day by a man in good standing as a Jew, which this expert in the religious law certainly would have been, steeped in the custom, steeped in the tradition, he would have most mornings said in his prayers something like, and Lord, I pray there will be no Samaritans in the second resurrection. In the, in the final standing of heaven, I just pray that there will be no Samaritans there. Please, God, please don't let any Samaritans go to heaven. But then a Samaritan came by. Even Jesus' disciples would have been like, I see where this is going. This is Luke 10. Is that where we are? Can someone check your Bible, make sure that's Luke 10? You know, in Luke 9, Jesus sent the disciples out on a little ministry trip. It was one of those assignments, like, hey, go preach a little bit so I can tell you how we can grow <laughs> as an organization. And they came back having been sent to go preach in Samaria just a chapter ago. And the disciples came back and said, this freaking Samaritans, they wouldn't listen. They told Jesus, probably, go preach there. There, oh, Jesus. <laughs> hate them so much. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> like your kids when they really don't want to brush their teeth halfway through the movie, but you know if they make it to the end of the movie, they'll be asleep, and then they'll be crying when you make them brush their teeth, so you make them brush it halfway through the movie. Anybody with me? <laughs> no one's ever died brushing their teeth, but you would think... If I hear you stomping up those stairs, there will be no movie. I'm going to shut off the stupid Disney Plus thing. I don't need a $6 extra a month. I already pay for Netflix. 
like you mean it. <laughs> they came back to Jesus and they said, Jesus, the, Samari the Samaritans wouldn't listen to us. And then this is a direct translation on the screen, Luke chapter 9. They said this. Master, do you want us to call a bolt of lightning down into the sky and incinerate them? <laughs> For the record, Jesus did not want that to happen. <laughs> but that was how even the disciples felt about the Samaritans. So a Samaritan. Now, do you realize how much it changes the text when you understand the context? A Samaritan happened to come walking down the way on a donkey, but he stopped and saw. Look at, look at me. He took notice, he took pity, and he took action. That's how change is made. You take notice, you take pity, you take action. That's how the world has changed. You got to see the need, you got to meet the need. He took notice, he took pity. It starts with your eyes, then it's got to lead to your heart, and then it's got to lead to your hands. He took notice, he took pity, he took action. He got off of his donkey. He treated the man's wounds. He put the man on his own donkey. He put oil and wine on this man. Translation, this is antiseptic and, and, and antibacterial. In their day, it was the best thing they could do to medicate and to clean a wound. And, having, and what, what does that mean? That means he gave resource, too. Band-aids aren't free, y'all. And, and neither is wine, and neither is oil, and neither is to stay at the inn. Nothing this man did indicates that he felt good just because he gave the guy time. Someone told me one time, I don't give, but I give my time, and so that's good. I like how Margaret Thatcher puts it when she comments on the Good Samaritan, saying, and I quote, and come on, there's the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom from the 1979, I think, through 1990. No one would remember the Good Samaritan if he'd only had good intentions. He had money as well. Come on, it takes money to change the world. It, it takes resource to change the world. I refuse to apologize for saying, hey, we got to give big if we're going to do big things. And, and I don't flinch from saying millions because there was a day when I talked about our thousands that we gave is one day they're going to be tens of thousands. And as it came out of my mouth, it sounded crazy. But you know what? We're at a day where we have given, not including our own ministry, which is being used by God to do great things, we've given away to over $2 million to outreach. But I'm not impressed by that because I speak in faith the day that will come when we will give away tens of millions of dollars. And on that day, we'll be dreaming of hundreds of millions of dollars. May, may we live long enough to give away a billion dollars as a church. I got friends who need Jesus. Do you have friends who need Jesus? I know there are people in this world dying still of malaria. There are people in this world who are blind because of surgeries that, that we know could change their eyes, but they don't have access to them. So I refuse to not take notice. I refuse to not feel pity. And I refuse to not take action. And as long as I'm going to leave this church, I'm going to call you to give so we can change the world. It's not going to take good intentions. It's not going to just take time. It's going to take resource. Fortunately, all the money we need to do all that God's called us to do is here. Yeah. It's just in our bank accounts. And it's going to cause us to consistently earn and consistently give and to devise generous things. And I, I know we all got spending goals. You want that lake house? You want that cabin? That's great. Dream big. You want, you want to add this? You want to put a pool in? Great. You know what? Let's have some giving goals. Yeah. Let's just not have spending goals. Let's, let's dream big. Let's name an amount that seems crazy today. By God's grace, one day I will give this in a year-end offering. By God's grace, I will one day be giving that. Come on, set those benchmarks. Let's, let's, let's not be afraid 
to dream big. All right, so, so, so this Good Samaritan meets a need, and the story ends. And uh, Jesus goes, all right, story time's over. Who, who, you asked me who a neighbor was. Who do you think the neighbor? You pick out the neighbor. Like, how condescending is all of this, right? This guy, the expert in the law. Jesus is like, okay, I'm going to draw you three pictures. Circle the one who you think is awesome. <laughs> this guy. The problem started when it said, seeking to test Jesus, right? Jesus goes, all right, there's three, there's three characters. There's a Levite, there's a priest, there's a Samaritan. You wanted to know who's a, who's a neighbor? You want to know what, a, what, what God wants a neighbor to be like? Who do you think the neighbor was? You can see the man's hatred of Samaritans in his answer. He had to admit it was the Samaritan, but refused to even say the word. Couldn't stand the taste of it. So he said, the one who showed mercy. <laughs> the, the one the one who showed mercy was the neighbor. He refused to say the Samaritan was the hero. The one who was willing to show mercy. So Jesus goes, you got it, buddy boy. This wasn't so hard. So go and do that. Just go and do that. So do that all the time. Just, just show mercy. You want to know what it means to be a neighbor? Yeah, you can't just say you love God if you don't care about people. So you let your love of God lead to your love of people. Just go and do that, and you'll be fine. No, 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 I know this is the point in the sermon. You're like, hey, pastor, you have me. I don't do that. You know what? So we're all going to go, and we're going to show better mercy. Hey, I'll give something. All right, you twisted my heart. No, I'm giving something now. OK, great. No, 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 stop, 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 stop. This sermon's not over. And that's not the application. This story is not a message of morality that tells us, hey, try harder this week to be a good Samaritan. This story is Jesus trying to get this man, and by extension, us to see we need a good Samaritan. We're the guy in the street. That's what this story is all about. It's not you go and try harder. It's trust more because someone came and did what you can never do for you. This guy wanted to see himself as the hero of the story, wanting to justify himself. But who was the good Samaritan in the story? Clearly not this guy, and clearly not us. We, we will have a hard time loving our family on Thursday. Jesus is calling us to love our most hated enemy like the Samaritan did. The, 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 what he wants to leave us with is not a sense of pride, like, yes, we're going to go out and be good Samaritans. He wants us to feel, this story ends with a, a serious feeling of depression. Yeah. If you can love like the good Samaritan loved, you will be fine. Oh, crap. Yeah. <laughs> I can't love people I'm blood related to like this man loved people who prayed he would go to hell. So it's not like, yay us, we're the good Samaritan. It's like, I need a good Samaritan. Yeah. Jesus isn't saying, be a good neighbor. He's saying, you need a good neighbor. Yeah. This story is not about be a good guy or a bad guy. That's a big theme in our house these days, because Lennox has learned about good guys and bad guys. And, and so it's always like, are you a good guy? No, I'm a bad guy. When he's mad at us, you're a bad guy. That's like the worst thing he could say to you. You're a bad guy. The other day, he threw a rock at me and told me I was a bad guy, right? It's like, so good guy, bad guy. Yeah, this, this, this guy came in thinking, I'm a good guy. And, and we think Jesus is going to tell him, well, well, maybe this is what you got to do to be a good guy and not be a bad guy. But the Good Samaritan story is not be a good guy or even love a bad guy. It's you're a dead guy. And the God guy came to bring you to life. That's the story of the Good Samaritan. Let me ask you a question. 
Who? Who does the Good Samaritan remind you of? He's descending from, from a donkey. He's descending from Jerusalem. A man who's lying half dead. That's you and me, half dead. Alive physically, but dead spiritually, in need of salvation eternally. Come on, he's got oil in one hand. He's got wine in the other hand. Jesus talked about needing to be saved by his blood, but the Holy Spirit like oil from heaven. Come on, he, he, he put us on his donkey so where he was, we could be. He... He said, I, I came from heaven to come to earth so you could leave earth and go to heaven. He, he brought us, he brought us on his own beast to a building that's supposed to be a place of healing. The story of the Good Samaritan leaves us with this unmistakable conclusion. Doing good should for us, the church, be a way of life, not how we get life. The man at the beginning said, how do I inherit eternal life? What good do I have to do? But, but doing good should be a way of life for God's people who have been put on the donkey and had our wounds treated and been brought to the end. It should not be how we think we can get life. You see, because the man in the story did not realize it, but he was the one in the street in need of a savior who was willing to give him grace. He didn't want the answer. Jesus knew he was going, he knew Jesus was going to give. So Jesus told him the problem, leaving him in need of a solution. So if he was willing to say, help me, I can't do that. I've been trying to love God. I've been trying to love people. I clearly don't love others as I love myself. Then Jesus would have said, well, then guess what? Salvation is by grace alone. It's by faith alone. If you trust in me, I could save you. I could heal you. I could forgive you. But the text doesn't tell us what happened from there. We're left to imagine, did this man trust him? Did he not? But that's because it's really not about this man. It's about you and me. We're not told what happened to this guy because that's not where we should leave it. We should not say what happened to this man. We should say, what about our heart? Where are we in the story? How do I place myself in it? I know for me, I've been the Levite and the priest. I've been the man in the street. And I've been saved by a good Samaritan. I, I've been saved by Jesus, who, who, who I trusted in and, and gave me life. So here's where I think God's calling us to be in the story, the innkeeper. Come on, say it with me. Hotel, motel, holiday inn. That's where God wants us as a church to be. That's what this 2020 series is all about. It's us being positioned to be the innkeeper so that whoever Jesus brings us in need of touch, whoever Jesus brings to us in need of, in need of mending, whoever, whatever, whatever opportunity Jesus brings to us, you see, I think it's so calming to know that God's not calling us to, to walk out the doors of, of our church on, on December 8th and say, all right, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna save the world. Jesus has already done what is needed to save the world. We just get to do whatever he brings to us, to do our part of what he has called us to do in his master plan to touch the world. The world already has a savior. Good news. But there's room at the end. There's room at the end. So what is, it, what, what, is it, what is it that we can learn from the innkeeper? How do I close this? Worship team, come up here. We're almost done. Two things I think we can learn from the innkeeper who, who the text says this about him. We, we're told a lot about him. Jesus brought the needy world that he came to save that couldn't save themselves to him. And he said, here's what I've already done for him. I want you to take care of him after I spend the night with this man and, and nurse him. In the morning, I got to go. Come on, this is not Jesus. When I come back... I will repay you for all you've done for this world that I died for. When I return, wow. you're going to stand before me and tell me what you did for this guy. And to do what you need to do, here's what I'm going to entrust to you. And if it costs even more than that, 
I will repay you when I return. So two things we're going to do to be the innkeeper. Number one, we're going to realize that what we have, we've been given. Because what the innkeeper had was given to him by the Good Samaritan. The text says he was given two silver coins. Now, if you look into the history of the day, the amount of money that was handed to him, it's actually a, a, a specific an allotment of money that would pay for two months' stay at an inn in that time. Okay, look into it. They found signs that literally have the, the amount of the time cost, money it costs to stay at one of those inns for one night. And what Jesus says the Samaritan gave over was two months for this, because this guy was really sick. He would need to be there for at least two months, right? And so uh, he was given all this money. Now imagine he, had he booted the dude and, you know, bought a new TV. He's like, oh, Black Friday at Costco, right? <laughs> guy's not here. That's not my problem. I don't even know this guy, right? That would have been embezzling. For, for sure, a misappropriation of what he was given. To not use what he had in his hands to help this man, that's not what he gave him this money for. Here's why I believe we should tithe. Because the tithe, the first and best 10% we return to God, which, by the way, is the only testing of God we're supposed to do. This man tested Jesus in the wrong way. Malachi says the only testing of God we're to do is when it comes to tithes and offerings. But the reason the Bible says if you trace it back to the beginning is a reflection of saying, whatever I have, I've been given. And it's a way to say, I want to use what you've given to me to, to unlock what's in your heart, to only use your money on you and your family and your dreams and your bills and your life is to basically boot the world out of the end and use it all for yourself. The problem is, he says, I'm coming back. Yeah. I'm going to come back and check in on him. Right. Oh, how, is it, how can you not see that it's the good Samaritan is Jesus when his last words are, I'll return. Come on, Jesus left the world. He floated up to heaven. He said, I'll be back. He said, when I return, I'm going to make sure you use what I gave you. You're like, well, wait, hold on. As I gave you, I'm a self-made man. Hey, which part, of, which part of yourself did you make, man? Yeah. Right? It's hard to work. You're like, I worked for it. It's hard to work without breath in your lungs. God's given us everything we have, big or small. And every time we tithe and give them the first and the best back, and many of us as a church along the years of this journey have made our first tithe we've ever given our year-end offering as a way to begin this journey of the revelation of whatever I have, I've been given. That man was given the resource to help the world. And so that's the first takeaway from the innkeeper. Use what you have to do what's in God's heart. The second revelation from the innkeeper is whatever you give will be rewarded. Whatever you give. Now, giving begins after tithing starts because tithing is not giving. It's return, right? Because you were given it. So you return the first and the best saying it's all yours. But giving is a free will offering above and beyond. The Samaritan said, use what I gave you to help him. But if it costs more, anything you spend beyond that, anything above and beyond what I gave to you, that I will reimburse you when I return. And so we have the promise with no cap, with no ceiling, that anything above and beyond God's Holy Spirit moves in us. And we, we choose to do beyond the tithe to know with ironclad confidence that Jesus will repay. Does not the Good Samaritan's words, I'll reimburse you when I return, remind you of Luke chapter 6, when Jesus said, and I quote, give away your life. You'll find life given back, but not merely given back. Given back with bonus and blessing. Giving, not getting, is the way. Generosity begets generosity. So who are we in the passage? Ho, 
tell, mo, tell, holiday, in. Y'all, Fresh Life Church, we want to be an in that's a rescue mission for the hurting world. We want to be available to, to be used by God. Why do we want that? Because we were the ones lying on the ground and Jesus picked us up and brought us in. So we must be available to reach other people. Come on. If he wants us, let's say we go all in.